All right, we're taking on a bunch of verses here tonight just because they're kind of all a one package set. It's hard to split these ones up. But in James chapter 2, we go through verses 1 through 13, and he's talking about favoritism in the church. He exhorts the readers to not have this attitude and gives his gives an example of favoritism in action. And then he tells all the negative effects that will have on the church and on the individual believer that favors such qualified persons. Now, many people who preach from this also get into racism. And so we will take a look at, is this passage, is it right to use this passage for racism? And uh, that type of behavior. So we will get into it and get into the uh, a number of Greek aspects of this, which I hope will be helpful for you. Mostly want to see how I can identify this in myself and is there something I need to get rid of? If so, how do I do it so that I don't suffer the ill effects that are described? So let's open up in James chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Now this is coming after the section on pure and undefiled religion. He said pure and undefiled religion is this. And he seems to be continuing more off of that than he is off of the test and trials aspect of things. Going on into what the pure religion is, here is. If we have pure and undefiled religion, then our attitude towards people coming into the church ought to be one of non-partiality. And especially when you look at what he's getting into, why this is such a big deal that he devotes so much of the chapter to this. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. So, the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord of glory. He's really setting this apart. This is who, when you bring partiality into this mix, you are taking the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ into this direction. So, uh, the Williams translation puts verse 1 this way. My brothers, stop trying to maintain your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious presence of God on earth, along with acts of partiality to certain ones. So he's saying you cannot maintain the attitude of faith in Christ and hold to the doctrines of true religion while still having partiality and treat some people differently. And when we get to what he is saying, you're, you're basing this on is when you really see the, uh, the impact. Of all this. So verse 2, for if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. Now understand, jewelry is very cultural. Different cultures do different things with jewelry, and what some cultures might do with jewelry or with ornaments, uh, we would say, oh, that, and what we do, what some people in our culture do with jewelry, other places would say, oh no, we're not doing doing that. I mean, you you think of some of the things some of the, the ladies like to go around and uh, I, I think some of them are seeing how many earrings can I put on my ear? And some of them, they just got uh, 13, 15, I mean, they're just so, so many. I would think, I'm thinking pain. And, and and taking all them suckers out and putting them back on in again and oh, I just, I can't imagine that. But that's what they wanted to do and they like it and in some places that would be ridiculous and other places they have even more. And it's just a, it's a very cultural thing. Understand it's not a religious thing. God doesn't say if you put more than two earrings in your ear, you are going to hell. <laughs> There's nowhere that's in, in scripture. It's, it's just not there. But knowing that this is cultural, what I want you to understand here is he's talking about a man with gold rings. In the culture that they are in, this is not just the Jewish culture, but the culture of the day. It was okay for a man, and understand the word there is man. It is okay for a man to have multiple rings on his left hand. But if he had them on his right, that's not good. It was not culturally accepted to have it on his right, but left is fine. So you would have guys who would go around, they would multiple rings on the left hand, but the right hand would be empty. So the richer you were, the more gold rings that you would put on, and they would be on your left hand. Now, I can't imagine that. I just don't want 
that many rings. I have one ring on my left hand and one ring on my right. My wife gave both of them to me, and that's fine. Uh, she always tells me, so you ought to take this ring off when I'm in their shop working because it used to have designs on it. And it doesn't have designs on it anymore. It just looks like a gold band. If I look close enough, I can still see some of the designs. But it's it's just basically a gold band. It's been on the finger there for quite a few decades, and I can still take it on and off. It isn't uh isn't that? But you know, why in the world take it off and then put it back on? And with <laughs> yes, it's it's been on the finger for a long time. So um, uh, but I don't I don't want multiples. Even sometimes this one more so this one than than this one. I get this caught on stuff, on on wood on things that I'm doing in the shop. And when I get it caught on stuff, the other end of it, it just digs into my, my head. I mean, there's some, some pain that goes on with that. And sometimes it's almost taking, uh, taking something off. It's just, it's like almost, I didn't go, I didn't keep going and the ring kept my finger back over there. But, uh, didn't quite go that direction. So I don't look for a whole lot of rings in my finger, but some of these guys that were rich, they would do that and they would have multiple. We're not talking about one ring on each finger. We're looking at multiple rings on multiple fingers and they would be gold. And this would be one of the ways they would demonstrate how rich they were. And so when he's talking about this, they would have gold rings in fine apparel so that the clothes that they wore were real nice ones. Back even in those days, they had nice clothes and they had people who didn't, who couldn't afford the nice clothes. So I guess, uh, what are, what, what's one of the higher end stores that would have have nicer clothes. Uh, Lord and Taylor's going away now. So, um, I, I don't know. But, you know, have ones like that. You walk on in there. I've walked on through some of those those stores on my way to another. <laughs> just kind of walked on through. And I saw, you know, just out of curiosity, you look at some of these things. And um, and the prices they would sell for a sweater, uh, a sweater isn't worth that to me. There's no way I'm paying that first. But, you know, people who know clothes, if you came out with a $300 sweater, and put it on, people could, who know clothes would say, oh, that is a nice sweater. And, cause they, they know apparel. I don't know apparel. I can't tell a $300 sweater from a $40 sweater. And I generally won't pay $40 for a sweater. I don't wear sweaters, so I was using sweaters, but I don't, uh, I don't, I don't wear those. But people can tell the difference between these particular things. They can tell fine clothing from, from not so fine clothing. And, um, this is what was going on in there. Some people would come in and they would have very, very nice clothing on and they would have nice rings. This would tell you they've got money. So it would announce as soon as you're coming through that you got money. And somebody else who came in and they were, they just had filthy clothes. Now obviously there's no rings on their fingers. They can't afford gold rings on their fingers if they can't afford good clothes on their body. I've heard uh, it was said that sometimes the people had to wear the same clothes they wore to work to wherever else they would go. And if they came into the synagogue, they came into the church service, they had to wear the same clothes they had to wear to work because this is all they have. And so certain people in a church were making judgments based on this. And this is what he's writing about. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings, I think the, um, uh, yeah, the word assembly there comes from the word synagogue. Because the Christians met in the synagogues during the early days. Eventually, the Jewish people made a separation from the, the Christians and no longer were the synagogues open to them. And so then they were having services in homes. And this is where the home churches came in and where multiple elders or most, multiple pastors per city came up with one bishop or overseer over that. But they had to meet in the homes because they didn't have a big place that they could meet at. So that's uh, some of the things that would go on with that. But in the early days, the Christians would use the synagogue when the Jews were not using them. They would let them, uh, kind of like today, you know, sometimes we'll have a, a church who meets on Sunday and somebody else can meet on it on Saturday. Um, Seventh-day Adventist churches, they generally meet on Saturday. So if a Christian church wants to meet on Sunday and they want to rent the facility, the place is open. They're usually open to it. It gives them you know, more use in the building. So those kind of things would go on back back then. This is what the enemy tries to get us to do here and what he's talking about in this. The the enemy wants us to pass judgment on things that are temporary. Things that will pass away. God wants us to 
to judge by those things that are eternal. If the enemy can get us to judge on things that are temporary and the clothes that we wear in our body, the rings that we have on our fingers, none of these things are going over into the other side. God wants us to judge things by things that are eternal. These are the characters of our heart. These are the fruit that we, we bring, fruit that we yield in the Spirit. The crowns that we put on the others, these are the things that are permanent. These are the things that go on into the other, other side. And this is what God wants us to look at instead of the outward appearance. Now, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King would, um, would, would talk about some of these things when his, of course, his famous speech, you know, he wants the people to be judged by the character of their, of their heart or the content of their, their character and not the outward appearance, not the color of their skin. And so this was, it was a great concept, but it's a concept that's in the Bible. It's a concept that's in the Word. And his idea was people would make the judgment based upon what they saw. This is where the racial element, one of the places where the racial element come in, is that people were judging based on the external. And so the color of a person's skin is not eternal. Well, I don't know what color we're all going to be when we get to heaven. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> so, but that that makes no difference. And so the idea is don't judge on the things that you can see. Now, see, if I learn how to judge things about people based on what I can see, then my faith is going to move over into that realm too. And this is where he makes the transition over into faith. If I learn to judge things externally as far as people is concerned, I'm going to learn to judge externally on things that my faith should be based on as well. So my faith will be based more on sight my faith will be based more on hearing because this is what I'm learning instead of things that are eternal. And this is what he wants the readers to understand. You cannot get pulled into this. If Satan can pull you into judging, on, judging things by their temporary uh, qualities, then he will also get you to judge in your faith by temporary qualities and not the eternal ones. Therefore, your faith won't be genuine and won't be real. So that's one of the transitions he's going to make in here and why this is important to him. And the example that he uses, this is not the only place where this is done. He is just using an example of where it is done. So there could be other places that this could come in. It may be that some people were making judgments based upon their language. Or maybe there was something external about them. You could tell where they worked. And people would make a judgment based on that. He's not eliminating any other aspect. He's just pulling in one part here and using this as a comparison. That comparison is rich and poor. Because one of the things that was going on in the, in the services as he saw it is that judgments were being made. And so people would look at folks coming in. Oh, this is the rich person. I want to get to know them. I want to, to uh, buddy up with them. And so they would be real kind and they would uh, give them the better seats because they had better seats in the synagogue. Uh, and Jesus talks about it. There's a number of places in Scripture where those things are, are discussed. And there's some better seats. I, I believe I, uh, I put some of that in there. We'll come to it eventually. But there are some places where you'll see this in the Word of God talking about places that are better for you to sit. Verse 3, And pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, You stand there. Or sit here at my footstool. And of course in the area, again they, they use this in the area of racism. Because in the area of racism, it was done by external means. You can sit here, you can go into this place, or you can do this particular thing based on external values. And that got um, uh, people upset. And, and of course we know the whole thing on the bus. And sitting there at the, uh, sitting there at the not sitting in the back of the bus. Miss Rosa decided, no, I'm not going to do that. And that was a tough move for her to do. It was a bold move. But this is what people were doing there in the, in our modern day. And it was going on in James's day as well. They had nice places to sit in the synagogue. They had better places to, to sit. And certain ones would, would get in there. Now, if you're going down to a lot of church services, you um, when they had the big seminars going on, you will find a lot of seats roped off. Because certain people are there to, to sit in those. <laughs> There's different reasons for why they, why they do all, all that. Um, I don't know that it's always favoritism. Sometimes they uh, have people that are working out in the parking lot. 
and they want to make sure that they have seats for when they, they come on in. Well, I think that's a good idea. Those folks can't uh, necessarily get seats on their own, so you want to make sure that they're taken care of. But um, we can still see that that attitude is certainly prevalent today. It was prevalent in the 60s when a lot of that racial stuff was going on. It was prevalent in James' day. And I'll bet you it was prevalent in many societies from James's day all the way up until our day. This uh, just goes on. This is how people behave. The enemy wants to get you to look at the external, put people into group and decide, I don't want to associate with them or I do want to associate with them because of the group I have put them in based on something external not on things that were of eternal value. So you sit here in this good place, say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit over here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I know this quote did not originate with him, but I heard him say it so many times on his radio show. Rush Limbaugh would always say, because his father taught this to him and would preach it to him. You can tell the character of a man by how they treat someone who can do them no good. And I know many other persons have said this, but I just kept hearing that. I always associated with him on that, just like he would associate with his father. Just look at how people treat someone who can't help them, who can't do anything beneficial for them. How do they treat them? That will tell you the character that's involved in that individual. And this is what James is saying. You're looking at a rich person, you're saying they can probably help us out. You're looking at a poor person, you're determining they cannot. So it doesn't matter how we treat them, they're just even lucky we let them stay in the building. So none of these attitudes are new. James was dealing with them way back then. So you stand here, you sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Real key verse right here. Have you not shown partiality? This is a, uh, this word here, partiality is the main word. The, the shown, I believe, is just to, uh, expand upon its meaning. Have you not shown partiality? It is from diacrino, which means to discern, to judge, to make a distinction. It is also translated doubt in verse 6 of this same chapter. It is translated doubt. And that is where we have the part of doubt and wavering. The word for doubt, and this, let me just read over this for you. The, um, this word translated doubt here, did I not? I thought I copied these things on here, but I don't seem to, don't seem to have, um, oh yeah, there it is. I just for some reason moved it down further. Why did I do that? To make a distinction, to decide, to judge, to dispute, and to doubt. These are the ways this word is translated. You're going to find in Acts chapter 15 and verse 9, it says, the no, make no distinction. In Matthew 6, 3, it uses the word distinction. And in Jude 1, 22, remember making a distinction, making a judgment between one and the other. There you are supposed to make a distinction. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 20, it's translated waver. I didn't give you any of these references. If anybody wants them, you can come up here and look at them later on. Don't bother trying to write them down now. But uh, uh, doubt, it is translated doubt in Matthew 21, 21, Mark 11, 23. You all know that verse. Acts 10, 20, Romans 14, 23, James 1, 6. You also see it translated judge and see it translated discerning. 21 times total this word is used in the New Testament. It is talking about doubt because when this word is used for doubt, it is you making a distinction or you making a judgment between this one and this one. I am not going to believe what God said. I'm going to judge what the world said is right here. And I doubt the word of God. That's why that word is brought in and why that word is is used. So we use that word here. You stand there sitting here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So again, the, um, I think actually I must have moved that up. I think our word doubt there comes up later. But here, let's take a look at this word here, shown partiality among yourselves. This is actually the word epi, epi blepo 
the uh, word key word here in this is blepo, which is the word to see. It means to look upon. Pay attention means to look upon. It is used three times. This particular word is used three times in the New Testament. It is used in Luke chapter 1, verse 48, and Luke chapter 9, verse 38. These are the only times that this is used. In Luke 1, 48, talking, this is Mary speaking, For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. He has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. He has regarded, he has looked upon, he has seen me, he has shown shown partiality. He has seen me and made a distinction that I would receive this blessing. In Luke 9, 38, suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son. Look on is this word here. He wants him. I want you to draw your attention to my son. He needs your attention. He needs something from, I need you to focus your attention, not on the masses of people, but right now, I need you to look on my son. He is my only child. In the Septuagint, this word is used to translate words like when Lot's wife looked back. Remember she looked back at Sodom? She looked back, how did she look back on it? Look back with a longing. Look back with giving attention to it. Oh, I don't want to leave that. And she turned to stone. She gave that her attention. The Lord looked upon Israel with favor. This word is used when we see these particular things going on. So to look upon someone and alter the way you deal with them, the motivation has to come from what you see. If this word is being used here, when you look upon someone and alter the way you deal with them, the motivation has to come from what you see. In this particular example he's using, you're seeing the gold rings and you're seeing the fine apparel. And that is drawing your attention to go into a certain behavior mode. You don't know anything about that person. You don't know if that is a false brethren. You don't know if that is a, uh, uh, a wolf in disguise as a, as a sheep. You don't know who this person is. You don't even know if they're saved. But they got gold rings and nice clothes. Let's treat them well. And so that's what he is warning them about. Sit here in my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? When you look upon someone and make the distinction, they've got rings, they've got clothes, nice clothes. And I make the distinction, my thoughts, he is saying, are evil. They're not good. Because I am not concerned about the content of this person's heart. I'm not concerned about the well-being of the church that is that they're coming into. I have no concern about the kingdom of God. All I'm concerned about is they've got money and that might benefit me. And he says that is, that is an evil thought. That is an evil intention. Don't be, uh, don't be going there. It says, you sit here. There were seats of honor in the synagogue. Matthew 23, 1 through 6. We'll show you that. I'm not going to read over it right now. But the idea is to get to a place here where we look upon people and we don't have partiality. This is not the same Greek word, but it's the same concept of no partiality. You'll see this in Romans 2, 11, Ephesians 6 and 9, and Colossians 3 and 25, using the same phrase we see here in Romans 2, 11. For there is no partiality with God. God does not look at the external. He looks at the inward man. He went over this with Samuel when Samuel came to the house of Jesse and he was to anoint and he saw the first son and he looked at the external. He saw a big guy. This looks like king material. And God says, don't you do that. Don't you judge by looking at the outside. I judge on the heart. I judge on what's on the inside. And so Samuel went on right on by him. So, don't make that kind of distinction. Verse, let's pick up here. See if I got everything that we needed to do. You have become judges. Nope, we haven't, didn't finish this. You have become judges. So obviously this is not a role where we are to sit here. Now it does not mean we are not to judge. People see these verses as do not judge and this one here, don't become judges. Doesn't mean we're not supposed to judge. We're not supposed to judge based on the outward character. If someone reveals who they are on the inside, you can certainly judge. 
I have no problem with that. If they come up there and they say, I hate God. Well, I can make a judgment about that. <laughs> I'm supposed to. If they're revealing some of the things that are going on the, on the inside. But I cannot do that on the outside. So, obviously this is not a role that we are to sit in here. This, is, But it is not for every situation. There are some situations where the church has said, judge those inside the church, purge the evil from amongst yourselves. But there's other times that it says, do not judge. We have to understand and make the distinction. He says here that you have evil thoughts. Now this word here, we've gone over it before, is the Greek word, get my glasses on here. It's the Greek word, paneros. That's the word that is used here. It is not the word kakos. Kakos means the evil in character. Poneris means evil in influence and effect. Kakos is happy with being evil themselves. I'm okay if I'm just a bad person. <laughs> I just want to be a bad person and everybody just leave me alone. But not so with this, this word used here. This word describes someone who is not content to just be evil. They must spread it to other people. And this is a different category of persons. I've used this word and described when we talk about certain people in the media. When we talk about certain people in political circles. These are not content with being evil themselves. They must spread the evil and push it upon everyone that they can. This is what this word is describing. And God hates it. He despises this. If you want to be evil, if you want to make the decision to be evil yourself, be evil. But do not push this on others. And especially don't push that on his kids. So Paneris is a bad type of evil. He says you have evil thoughts. You are, this is an evil that is going to spread that evil and influence. And certainly we saw that in this country when people had that evil mentality of, of pushing that in the, in the race area that it spread to other people and other people picked, they didn't, I don't even know why I'm mad at these people. It's just everybody else is. And so I'm going to be mad at them. <laughs> it's, see, I have people on both sides. The blacks were mad at the whites. The whites were mad at the blacks for no other reason than what was on the outside. And that's not a, that's not a good place to be. We, we just watched it again recently, but I do love that movie. Remember the Titans. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> I love the whole camp scene when they go to camp. And they, he forces them, you are going to talk with, you, you, black players are going to talk to white players. And until you know something about your, all your white players, we're going to keep doing all this extra workouts. So he motivated them. But it, it got them over the, the, the hump. They found out, no, these guys, they may be a different color, but they go through the same things I go through. They have the same struggles that I have gone through. And, uh, and we saw great friendships come out of there. And boy, that movie did a wonderful job of showing the, the, uh, just a slap in the face it was when they came out of camp and they had changed all those attitudes and uh, the town's going nuts and the boys say to each other, we aren't at camp anymore. <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite lines in that whole thing, no, you're not at camp anymore, but they kind of wish that they could be. And then a lot of things were, were, were stirred up and, and they were being pushed back into the same attitudes that they had just gotten out of based on nothing but external things. And this is what James is trying to get them away from. In this, they were doing it for rich and poor, but probably doing it in other areas as well, doing it in areas where it was easy to distinguish between one group and another. And he calls them people with evil thoughts. Poneris thoughts. This is evil that causes labor, pain, sorrow. It's a malignant evil. That's from vines. God judges the heart, but we become judges of expression. God judges the heart, but we become judges of expression. I look at how a person expresses themselves, how they express themselves in their clothing, how they express themselves in how they talk, how they express themselves in the color of their skin, how they express themselves in how rich they are, how they express themselves in what kind of car they drive. All these different things, they're all external. And I begin to judge people based upon that. But God judges the heart. He judges something from the inside. Verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? 
Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? You see, the poor folks were the people that were the most receptive to God. In Jesus' day, it was the rich people that had the hardest time accepting him to the point that he came out and said, oh, it's hard for a rich person to get into heaven. It's easier for the uh, camel to get through the eye of a needle. And regardless of whether you think that's a literal eye of a needle or if you think it's a special gate in the wall, it makes no difference. The the meaning is the same. It's difficult. (laughs) In fact, as Jesus put it, it's impossible. It's not going to be done. But the poor folks, they were accepting of Jesus. Far more than the rich people were. There were some rich people that accepted Jesus, but far more the poor did. So James is, is looking at that. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? They may be poor in this world. They may not have the rings. They may not have the, the great clothes. But God has chosen them for riches in the next world. Why would you shun them? Plus, if God is looking at them with, with greater favoritism because of what's in their heart and you shun them, what do you think that's going to do between you and God? If God says, you don't like the people I like, but you like the people that I'm having difficulty with right now. <laughs> how... How am I going to foster my relationship with God by saddling up with the people that have been more against God? It's not going to work out so well. Remember what Jesus said in the, in the New Testament when the disciples came and talked to him about some other people that were out there doing some of the same stuff. He who is not against us God is more concerned about those that are, that actively go against Him than anything else. And, um, they were concerned about how people that were for Him were conducting themselves. But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? So God is saying if the rich people are coming against the things of God, if the rich people are coming against the things that, that God holds is important and you are saddling or siding with them, what do you think God's going to do? How do you think God's going to respond to this? What you are doing to his kids, what you're doing to the, to the ones that have a heart for him. Do they blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? See, the rich were the ones dragging them into the courts. Poor people don't drag folks into courts. They can't afford lawyers. <laughs> I mean, that makes it real simple. If I can't afford a lawyer, I'm not going to be messing in the courts. But the rich people who have the courts have the people on the... And some of them, they just got staff lawyers. They just got people who got to keep them busy. So I go sue somebody. Yeah. And they go find some poor people they can go sue because the poor people can't have the defense and they can probably get a good win that way. He says, why do you want to bring them in and give them the preferred places? Just in the natural he's looking at. And in the natural, they're coming against you more than the poor people are. Why would you want to do this? When he starts out here and he says, listen, my beloved brethren. Basically, I, I think he throws this in there because... As he gives this example, sometimes when people give an example, your mind wanders on that example. And they may be thinking back in church, oh yeah, I remember that rich guy who came in and I remember how they, how they moved me out of my seat so they could put this guy in the, in that particular spot. Oh yeah, I remember. And they may be thinking about some of these things that are going on. He's bringing them back. So hold on. Come on back over here. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? If we look at the groups of people most open to the gospel, they are poor. Or they are the, the poor. The poor are the most open. That doesn't mean the poor people automatically open. I know a lot of people who don't have money and they can care less about God. And they, uh, they don't say the nice things about God. Just because you're poor don't mean you're, you're open. But more often, people that are poor are open to the gospel than those that are rich. Again, don't make an outward decision. Don't say, well, this person is poor. Obviously, they're, they're, uh, <laughs> we, we can get, get them in with God. Not necessarily. Those who most often persecuted are the, the rich. In verse 8, let's go on to that one. Listen, uh, 
verse 8, where we go. I copied in the wrong. I'm still suffering the effects of not having my normal computer. So often this thing copies the same passage again that I already put, even though I tell it to copy a different one. So if, if you can pull verse 8 up, because I don't have it on my, my thing here. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. If you really, go back to the beginning. If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. This is well. If you do this, he says you do well. Then he goes on. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. We're going to come back to that word transgressor in just a little bit because he's going to hit that word again. But if you show partiality, if you come in and you by the outward expression of a person make a judgment, you commit sin. It's very clear about this. So he now equates prejudice and partiality with sin. If you're going to honor the rich over the poor in his one example that he brought, not the only example, but the one that he brought. If you're going to honor the rich over the poor, there was direct condemnation by Scripture. In Leviticus 19 and verse 15, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. In Deuteronomy 1.17, you shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. And you shall not be afraid in any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. The case is too hard for you. Bring it to me. I will hear it. Now, the word here, sin, is from hamartia. It is to miss the mark. It is to miss the mark. The uh, to To aim for something, but not quite get there. That's a very common word for sin. But verse uh, 10, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Now, we've heard that before. There's other places where that, that is discussed. You can keep all the whole law. He, he's going to use this example here. The law says do not commit adultery. It also says do not murder. But if you don't commit adultery, but you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law, the whole law. Now, this word here for transgressors, the same word that we saw in the uh, other verse, I think it was verse 9. It is from the Greek word parabates, which means to go beyond, to go beyond. It is a very strong word that indicates not an inadvertent slipping, but a deliberate crossing, a clearly marked line that is used five times in the New Testament. If you want them, Romans 2, 25 and 27, Galatians 2, 18, James 2, 9 and 11. Two of the five times it is used, it is used right here. But it is a very strong word. And it means to go beyond. So basically, as God has in his word said, here is where you are not to go. And we look at that line and go, whoop. We just step right over. I know I'm not supposed to be there, but we're going to do it. My my daughters tell me that little Lumi is doing this kind of thing. She knows something is not supposed to be done. She knows she's not supposed to go and do something or something is off limits. And so she goes over to the thing. She looks back. <laughs> as to say, are you watching? <laughs> and then proceeds to do it. That's There's the line. Don't cross it. Here we go. <laughs> And we start crossing lines. This is not accidental. When he says you become a transgressor, he is saying you know the line. The line is here. And you deliberately have gone over it. Uh, most of us understand that for people who just who accidentally transgressed, you have a child who accidentally did something wrong. They didn't know it was wrong. And they're very sad that they had done this, that it was wrong. You deal with that differently than someone who you say, don't do that, and they look at you and say, well, watch me. <laughs> and they go out there and they do it. You're going to be dealing with that a lot differently. God is saying the same thing here. You become a transgressor of the law. You become one who has gone over the line. You know where the line is, and you say, I don't care. I'm going beyond it. So he says, in this area of partiality, if you become partial with people because of external things, you cross a line, you become a transgressor 
of the law, one who deliberately and willfully crossed over a line that they know they should not have done. You bypass every stop light that is in your spirit. Your spirit is saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I don't care. I'm going to do it. And you do it. That's what it is. And that's what he's uh, liking this to. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So if you become a transgressor of law, if you go beyond that, again, parabates, parabates, it is to go beyond. It's a very strong word. Now, we do not have the right to pick what parts of the word of God we will keep. Matthew is very clear about this. In verse 23 of chapter 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay tithe and mint and anise and, and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. <laughs> Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of a cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean. Boy, I'll tell you what, he's sure making some judgments here, isn't he? And if you keep on going, you'll find out he does more. But we had to stop someplace. <laughs> but the idea is, don't pick and choose which parts of the law you're going to do. Well, I like to, to tie these things, but I don't like to show mercy. So I'm not going to show mercy. He said, uh-uh. And that's what, he said, that's what you guys are doing. Everybody can see that you're tithing every little bit of stuff that you got, but you're not showing mercy. You're not dispensing justice. And God does not like that. Verse 12. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. This is what we're going to be judged by. I need to speak and I need to do knowing this. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It is important that we operate in mercy. If I want to receive mercy on the other side, I've got to walk in mercy over here. But if we're showing partiality, we're not showing mercy. Because God extends mercy based upon the heart of the person. Whether they repent, whether they make a turn. Not based upon outward things. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to extend mercy to you because you're rich. I'm going to extend mercy to you because you're in the right group. Cannot do that. We have to, we have to go be beyond it. We can't, and you can't flip flop and do the other thing too. Well, I'm not going to show mercy to you because you are rich and you've just had too much in life and well, now you're just going to get the, the bad end of the stick. No. Mercy is for those who deserve mercy. Mercy is for the merciful. Mercy is for the ones whose heart is right. Judgment is for those who are the transgressors and go against the, the law. It's very clear. I don't care whether you're rich or poor. It makes no difference. You can be rich and receive mercy. You can be poor and receive mercy. And you can be poor and receive judgment. Just because you're poor doesn't mean that you get a, a an easy out. Well, you know, they've had a really rough life. They've been poor. And that's why they've been disobedient. Uh, no, God does not. He does not show partiality. He doesn't care if you are rich or poor. He is going to bring you into judgment based on what's on the inside. And that's how we need to conduct our lives. We cannot conduct our lives based on things that are external. I can't love people because they have blonde hair and not black hair. Or black hair and not blonde hair. Or brown hair or whatever color hair it is. I can't love people because of the color of their skin. If I, as a white person, go out and love people more that are black, I'm showing partiality. And if I go out as a white person and love other people that are more, that are white, I'm showing partiality. You can't do it. You gotta judge it based on the people, the people that are there. I don't have friends based upon the color of their skin. I have friends based upon who they are. There are some people that the, they had the same color of skin as I, I do, but I don't like them. I don't enjoy being around them. And I don't. <laughs> they, they don't have the right heart. 
They're, they're, they're nasty to the things of, of God and to the people of God. I don't look to get close in that fellowship. I don't care what color their skin is. I don't care what race they are. Some of you have met uh, my running buddy. I didn't go out and pick my running buddy because I wanted somebody who's a different race than I am. But he is. But I didn't pick it for that reason. In fact, I didn't go around and say, well, what minority person can I find that I can buddy up with to show that I don't have partiality? You know, that's that would be stupid. John and I came into a friendship over a long period of time. And um, uh, we've even talked back sometimes we're out in the run and we try and discuss. Now, how is it that we uh, we actually started doing, <laughs> doing this? And he um, came to the run group and he was running slower and I was running faster and we didn't really, we saw each other. I don't think we really did much with each other. And sometimes I would run with Christian and we would be back in the, the, the slower group because he wasn't trying to go fast. And if Christian had other people to run with or he didn't come out that night, then I would go out with the faster people. And John was somewhere in the middle of all that. But then he got faster. And then all of a sudden we started to realize, hey, you know what? We, we kind of run at around the same pace. And so we would run with each other. And then we found out we didn't live far from each other. And then he moved closer. <laughs> now, he didn't move closer knowing where I lived. He moved closer. He's in the process of it. And he says, uh, where do you live at? And I told him. And, uh, and he said, oh, I'm moving in that area. And so we started carpooling to the run group. And then we started finding places that we could run on our, on our own. And we just enjoyed each other. We enjoyed each other's uh, conversation. Sh- shortly after we were running, I found out not only did he know about Brother Hagin, read his books, and we had great conversations on faith. And the, the things, uh, that, so that was a, a, an area there. And, and beside that, he likes to run in nasty weather. <laughs> now, he'll, he will tell you that he likes to run in nasty weather more since he's been running with me. I've kind of pulled him over in that direction. But he didn't have a whole lot of resistance. He, he just kept on, his wife's not too happy with me. Because I'm, I, she, she sees that as my bad influence upon him. But, uh, we just have the greatest time together. We enjoy the same conversation and stuff. And, um, and it, it makes no difference to me, makes no difference to him, what, what race we are, that we have, we have a difference in, in that. What makes the difference is we enjoy each other. And there's, there's no partiality for that. This is where we need to get. If I show partiality because people are of my race, if I show partiality because people are of my political persuasion, if I show partiality because people like the same kind of cars that I do. Well, I don't like people who buy foreign cars. Well, I have friends who have, who have foreign cars. I have an American car. I've always had an American car. My wife has a foreign car. I still associate with her. <laughs> You cannot take external things no matter what they are. A lot of times we get the focus on skin color. And that certainly is a way that we put groups. But there's also a lot of focus on political parties, political affiliation, political opinions. Uh, and if we can even get into partiality with, well, they go to the Baptist church. Well, I go to the Methodist church. Well, I go to the Episcopal church. And we can get partialities with, with all these things. And we can just begin to, to write people off. I cannot do it. I need to get to know who a person is and decide on on that. Who is the person? The only way you get to know the person is to get out there and to, and to fellowship with them and to um, continue on in, in that way. Because race has absolutely nothing to do with it. I, don't, I never, we weren't raised that way to, to think that way. And I know some people were and they had to get out of it. But we weren't raised to think that we were think we just never did and when i first found out that people thought that way i mean it's kind of shocked me what do you mean people think that but we just i didn't have to get out of that thinking because i was never in it but uh, now my my grandfather i speak very highly of my grandfather my grandfather was very very helpful in a lot of different things but uh, one day i did realize there were some racial things inside of him and he spoke some things and my mom kind of pulled me aside afterwards and she said, well, you have to understand, he came from an era where they, they talked like this on a regular basis, but it's, it disturbed me to hear that. It's like, it's my grandfather talking in this, <laughs> in this way. And it was very disturbing for me to, um, to, to hear that. Um, but, but, uh, uh, he, he sure didn't seem to, to show it. He, he seemed to, to love people no matter what color their skin was, but sometimes the conversation, it only happened once or twice, I, I can remember. 
And um, so I don't know if he kept that bottled up or if it, I, I don't know what happened with it. But I didn't, I wasn't ingrained in these kind of things. And so we didn't, we didn't have that, uh, which is, which is great because some of my best friends that I've got in the world do not share my skin color. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with having white friends and I'm okay with having black friends. I'm okay with having Republican friends and independent friends and Democrat friends. I'm okay with having people who, uh, who are in the Episcopal Church and be my friend. I think I told you the story before. One of my best friends in college was an Episcopal. And we had lots of conversations. I'm sorry, Lutheran. He was in Lutheran. I went to the Episcopal Church and he was telling me some things about that. But he was a Lutheran and we had great conversations. In fact, I had my best conversations about the Word with him compared to anyone else in the school. He and I, we had our, our best. I probably told you the story sometimes over lunch, over dinner. He and I would get into a Bible conversation and debate a topic, and everyone else would just pay, you know, pay for tickets. And they would just sit there and just listen to us go back and forth and on the thing. They just thought it was the, it was the best deal. Um, but you, you can't be picking these things out. If you are brought into it in any way at all, the Bible says you are brought into partiality, you are judging things based on external, and it will not be long until that external judgment that you are making will affect your faith, and your faith will be judged on the same thing. And it will damage you. James is writing this because he says it's going to damage you. It may damage the church as well, but understand this, it will damage you. Do not have that mentality. I want to read this whole translation here for you. Whole passage in the translation of the Williams. So here we go. My brothers, stop trying. You can follow along in the King James. You want to see where it is that it's different. My brothers, stop trying to maintain your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious presence of God on earth, along with acts of partiality to certain ones. For if a man with a gold ring dressed in fine clothes comes to your meeting and at the same time a poor man clad in dirty clothes and you pay special attention to the man who wears the fine clothes and say to him, sit here in this fine place and say to the poor man, stand up and sit there on the floor at my feet. Do you not make improper distinctions among yourselves and prove to be critics with evil motives? Listen, my, my dearly loved brothers, has not God chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith and to possess the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you, in contrast, have you humiliated the poor man are not the rich men those who oppress you and drag you to court are not they the ones who scoff in the beautiful name at the beautiful name you bear but if you really observe the law of the king in accordance with scripture you must love your neighbor as you do yourself you are doing right but if you show partiality you are committing sin because you are convicted by the law as law breakers for whoever obeys the whole law except to slip in a single instance is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you are just the same. You are just the same a lawbreaker. You must continue talking and acting like people who are to be judged by the law that treats them as free. For merciless judgment will be the portion of the merciless man. Yet mercy will triumph over judgment. If we do not show mercy in our dealings with men, God cannot show mercy in his judgments on us. If, I do, if we do not show mercy in our dealings with men, God cannot show mercy in his judgments of us. How do I treat people whose appearance is less than I would like it to be? That is something we need to deal with. If, if there's anything in the natural that causes me to treat people differently, I have to deal with it myself. I need to be able to get in there and spend time with the person and find out who they are. What's their heart made of? What does God see in them? You see, if I can get into what does God see in the person and get turned on to that, I can get excited. God, I see what you see in that person. And I can have a completely different attitude towards people because of that. What is God's view of this person? Don't think that God has a great view of everybody. 
Don't go out there and say, well, I'm sure God's view of this person is better. And so I just got to buck up and, and do. no, God has some bad opinions of some people because of what they've done on the inside. They changed their heart. That's fine. God did not have a great opinion of Pharaoh. God d- did not have a great opinion of Saul after a certain period of time. God even saw that David was messing up and came after him on a couple of occasions, not just with Bathsheba. There were a couple other times too. Moses even saw the wrath of, of God. There are different people who came into this, but you know, they, they fixed it. And God said, I like their heart. They may get off, but they fix it. And God likes that about people. Uh, Paul fixed it. Paul was against God, but God saw something in him. And so this call he could put on, this guy can handle this call, but he's got to get past this this stuff. He saw something on the inside of him. If we can just get him to, to see this differently, we can bring him in. And that's what he did. He brought him into the kingdom. Don't write people off. You don't have to get the idea that everybody out there needs to be my best friend. But there are some people that God's going to call you into a friendship with that initially it looks like, mm, I'm not so sure. I am not so sure that this is going to, uh, that this is going to go well. But I've had people in my life that initially I thought there's nothing about them in the outward that would draw me into this person. I think I've told you uh, some of the stories, but some of the folks that I had down there at Ken's Pizza and came into. And I mean, they just were heathens all the way, the complete heathen. But God kept drawing me to them. And one person in particular got into a very vulnerable spot and said, Steve, I always, wasn't always a heathen. He said, when I was a kid, I went to church and they prophesied over me that I would be in ministry. I don't know if he was rebelling against that or, or what it was. But glory to God. He turned his life around and he is now in ministry. He is now doing the work of God. And we've had a couple of conversations. He tells me how excited he is when he gets out there and he gets to do the, the thing that God's called him to do. But you see, if I judge him the external, there is absolutely nothing that would draw me to him. But you have to get past it. So whatever it is that, that is external about people that can turn me off, I have to overcome it. God, I need to get past. I can't, their language. Boy, just the way they talk, it just, but you're drawing me into this. You're drawing me in for some purpose. I need to get over there and help this person out. And remember, us ourselves, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us when we were unlovable. And that's the pattern we need to follow. There's going to be some people that in the natural, they do some things that just drive us crazy. But God says, stay with it. You can bring them out. And you can bring them to that good place. Don't be partial. Whoever it is that comes through the door of this church, we need to make sure that we are taking care of them. I think it's interesting in here that God watches how we look at people who come into the door of the church. It means greeters are pretty important. <laughs> Not just the ones we have picked, but other people as well. Because uh, that's this example he's using when people came into the church and how people would respond. Not just out there in the street. How people came into the church, how you would respond. And we got to make sure that we respond not based on externals, but based on internals. Because if I can get myself to not judge people based on external things, my faith will have a much easier time not deciding what to believe, not making a judgment on what to believe and what to doubt based on external things. You will learn to use eternal things. And by the way, thank you for the teaching that James gave to his church and gives to us. That we may think it has no impact on us, but it does. How we judge people what external things we look at will have an impact on our faith and on our walk with God. So I thank you that if it is out of line, that you will help us to bring it in line. And that we will line up 
with your scripture. We do not want to be a transgressor of your law, one who goes over the line. But we want to be one who believes, trusts in you. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.